The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, everybody. It is January 1st, 2020, and the first voice you're hearing this year is not Will Brinson. It's the year Ryan Wilson, and it's the year of the draft. It's me. I'm joined by Chris Trapasso, another draft analyst at CBS Sports. Chris, Happy New Year. How are you doing, sir? Happy New Year to you, too, Ryan. Everything's going pretty good. It's, it's exciting that we got bowl games, NFL playoffs, and then Senior Bowl, and then draft season really gets revved up. Yeah, it's right around the corner. And so this podcast, we're giving Brinson a break. I think it's, uh, it speaks to Brinson that he takes the, the very first day of the year off, but that's, <laughs> that's how he is. We're still grinding. It is draft season, uh, even though the playoffs are still upon us, as Chris mentioned. Uh, the senior bowl is right around the corner, then the combine and the draft. So what we're going to do here, we're going to talk a little bit, uh, about the, the bowl playoffs that just happened. We're going to preview some bowl games coming up on New Year's Day. And uh, what better way to do that than with uh, with me and, and Chris? So let's get into it. So first things first, the, fi- the uh, draft order is finalized. Chris, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. It starts with the Bengals. They locked that up two weeks ago. Uh, I'm assuming they're going to take Joe Burrow. But then the top five I'll read out are Washington Redskins, Detroit Lions, who had a secretly terrible season, then the Giants, and at number five are the Miami Dolphins. you have any thoughts there outside of Joe Burrow going first overall, what might happen is there a chance a quarterback sneaks into the top five, given that we don't know what Tua's um, situation is just yet? I think Tua could go to the Dolphins still. That They're still a team that's very much in the beginning of this rebuilding mode. So I think even if Tua Tagovailoa is not ready to play in September, or maybe not even as a rookie, I think that they would be okay with that. And right when the news of his injury hit there was a lot of people including myself that thought he could fall the middle of the first round back end of the first round the Dolphins have the three first round picks but I think it's too risky if you're the Dolphins to not pick Tua Tagovailoa with that first pick in the first round so I think he could be the only other quarterback that could sneak in maybe Jordan Love but I still think Tagovailoa is probably the odds on second quarterback off the board after Joe Burrow so Tua hurt his hip uh, in late November against Mississippi State. I have not had him in my mock, weekly mock draft since just because we don't know what the deal is. And right. he will let us know no later than January 20th, the last day for these guys to declare for the draft if they're going to do so. So we'll know something one way or another in a few weeks. All right, before we look ahead, let's look back and let's start with the Peach Bowl where the uh, LSU Tigers barely eked by 
the Oklahoma Sooners. I, I mean, it was an absolute display from Joe Burrow. Uh, I think I watched nine or ten games of his this year, and every game was as impressive as the one that preceded it. This was the cherry on top of, of what has been a fantastic year for Joe Burrow. Finished 49 of 39 for 493 yards, seven touchdowns. He ran for another touchdown, and that all happened in the first half. That's how impressive this offense has been. Started with Joe Burrow, starts with passing game coordinator um, Joe Brady. Uh, did anything Joe Burrow did in that game, Chris, change your mind about Joe Burrow as the number one overall pick? No, not really. And I think what, what you said about watching Joe Burrow this year, and he had so many big tests, and he passed all of them with flying colors. So every week it was like, is he going to have a hiccup? Is he going to have that kind of stinker game or even a stinker half? And he never really did. We heard a lot about Oklahoma, like that their defense had turned the corner and, and that with Alex Grinch, their new defensive coordinator, um, that they had been better this season. But then Joe Burrow took the field and that offensive line protected extremely well. The receivers made plays and he, these weren't just bubble screens for touchdowns either. These were dimes down the field. So nothing changed. Um, he is the odds on favorite to be the first overall pick. He's going to be and the top player. Probably consensus across the, like, the entire internet. He's been that good, seemingly out of nowhere, in 2019. Yeah, out of nowhere. I think he came into the season probably as a day three pick, best yep. case. Yep. Each and every week, you're like, okay, this guy's doing things that he certainly wasn't doing the year before. There are any number of explanations for it, and I'll be interested to sort of, sort of figure those out as we go through the process and, and talk to more people. Uh, a guy who changed a lot of opinions, though, especially if you didn't watch a lot of LSU, Justin Jefferson. I thought he was probably a second-round pick when I when I watched him play during the season. He reminds me a little bit of Devin DuVernay of uh, Texas. They're similar-type slot guys. I think DuVernay is actually a little faster. But Justin Jefferson absolutely went off uh, on that Oklahoma defense, who, for reasons that remain a mystery to me, I'm not sure what they were doing in terms of their coverages. Uh, they, they left um, Jefferson in a lot of one-on-ones, and he won every single one of them. I understand that LSU has a ton of playmakers. I get all that. But, look. He finished with 14 catches for 227 yards, four TDs. Um, did he sneak into the first round with his performance, or is this just one of those things where he's basically playing seven-on-seven seven against Oklahoma defense that didn't show up? I think he did. That I think that bowl game bias is a real thing. And for this, for him, for Justin Jefferson, it's a good thing. And you're right. I, I kind of saw him as a, a day-two pick just watching the course of the season. A lot of what he did production-wise – before this game was on deep crossing routes where he was schemed open. He wasn't really needing to beat press coverage. He wasn't needing to make contested catches or create yards after the catch. But on three of those touchdowns against Oklahoma, they were like jump balls into traffic. And like you said, he came down with all of them. So that was an area in prime time against presumably the number four team in the country where he was making big plays that was not just Joe Brady creating a perfect play for him and Joe Burrow hitting him in stride at the intermediate portions of the field. So I think there's going to be a lot of hype, especially if he plays well in the national title game, for Justin Jefferson to go in the first round, which could we see six, seven wide receivers go in the first round? I think he could sneak into the back uh, half of it. So you mentioned uh, game ball bias. Uh, do you think – subconsciously you fall for that? And do you think NFL teams sort of have this recency bias where, okay, this guy went off and that's the uh, that's the reason that he's now the player we think he is as opposed to all the tape we saw previously that didn't necessarily convince us that he should have gone at place X as opposed to place Y? Yeah, I'm not going to say that every team just gets hyped up over a bowl game and just will 
catapult a player from the third round to the first round. But we've seen every year there's guys that are similar to Justin Jefferson's second or third round picks play well in not even the college football playoff, just in a bigger bowl game. And then we hear them get picked way earlier than anyone thought leading into that game. So not every team, but I still think it's out there. And again, and like you said, you watched nine or 10 Joe Burrow games. Justin Jefferson was certainly making plays. He had 102 catches on the year, over 1,400 yards, 14 touchdowns before four against Oklahoma, but a lot of it was completely wide open, no press coverage, schemed open plays. You like to see more translatable skills from a receiver than what I saw from Justin Jefferson throughout the season. All right, well, this guy has translatable skills, but he had nothing close to the game that Justin Jefferson did. CeeDee Lamb, who was my wide receiver one, He's etched out Jerry Judy over the course of this season. He only had four catches for 12 tar- – uh, uh, excuse me, he had four receptions for 119 yards, only half the production of Justin Jefferson, so he didn't really show up for that game. That's that's a joke. Uh, obviously, the, the issues at quarterback probably had something to do with that. Anything that CeeDee Lamb did or didn't do change your mind about where he's going to go, uh, presumably on day one of the draft? No, not really. I mean, he accounted for more than half of Oklahoma's passing yards in the game, reeled in a deep ball from their quarterback early in the game, Jalen Hurts, and that's what he does. He can win. He can hit a 75-yard touchdown on a screen and make seven guys miss down the field. He tracks it very well down the field, very fast, can make the acrobatic catch. There's not really a black mark in terms of his draft profile. He does everything really well. I think he's going to test very well at the combine. And he probably from that maybe pick 12 to pick 20 range. I think that's where CD lamb. I think the Philadelphia Eagles would love to have someone like CD lamb on their roster next season. Yeah. I'm going to be interested to see how he runs at the combine. Mm-hmm. That'll obviously be big, but I think pound for pound because he looks like but pound for pound. He's the strongest wide receiver in this draft class. He is a yak machine. He breaks tackles, uh, Way more tackles than anyone who's built like that should. Uh, someone who's built like a Mack truck and, and who didn't show well, Jalen Hurts. He did not have a Joe Burrow-type performance. I, I think Jalen Hurts is probably a day-three guy. If he had balled out in this game and, and maybe found a way to win and, and done something in, in the finals, uh, maybe he sneaks in as a third-round pick. And, and there are teams that probably could use as, as a third. The Saints, for example, they have Taysom Hill. Jalen Hurts has a lot of those same qualities. What he is not, in my mind, is Lamar Jackson. Where are you now on Jalen Hurts, given that he had one full season in Lincoln Riley's offense? It went well, but it didn't go nearly as well as it went for Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield in years before. What, what do you see happening now that Jalen Hurts is now out of, uh, out of eligibility? Yeah, I still think he'll be drafted on the third day. You kind of hit the nail on the head there. That early in the season at Oklahoma, we saw a lot of production from him, and he was even more productive in the run game than Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield had been. And with kind of the air raid proliferation, everyone's kind of saying, hey, look, back-to-back number one overall picks from this offense. Could Jalen Hurts move to day two, maybe even late first round? The teams are kind of starting to incorporate the air raid. But in terms of his passing ability, it's improved since he started at Alabama, but it's not to the level of a first-round pick. But because he's a good athlete, because he is, I would say, marginally improved as a passer, I still think, like you said, a Taysom Hill-type role makes sense for him where when he's on the field, you probably thinking run, but he can still pass the football a little bit. And he's a great athlete, was a big recruit, and was actually really productive this year for the Sooners. Yeah, no, without without question. And he's also a great leader, and that sounds mm-hmm. sort of hokey, but you can't really undersell that. 
uh, especially in locker rooms where, like, say, Cleveland, things are going sideways. Okay, <laughs> let's talk about uh, things going sideways. What about the Sooners' defense? You mentioned earlier that this seemed like the maybe this was the year they sort of figured things out a little bit. And, and during the course of the, the year, they did play better than they had in recent years. But they also don't play in the SEC, for example. Uh, so two guys that, that are on the radar for, for first-round talents are – uh, of course, Kenneth Murray, the linebacker, Neville Gallimore, who who plays inside defensive linemen, both really, really, really good players, both nearly not enough to slow down what Joe Burrow and LSU wanted to do. Do you take anything away from that performance or lack of a performance by Oklahoma in, in the playoff game in terms of what it means for Murray and Gallimore? A little bit. Uh, the fact that, yes, Gallimore was facing – that LSU offensive line that is pretty young still, and they have a lot of these guys coming back. There's not a, a bunch of 2020 first and second rounders on it, but Gallimore was not really able to create much pressure. And my problem with Kenneth Murray, even though he's really athletic, he's long, he has that legitimate sideline to sideline range, he's not really been that productive in coverage in his career. He only had four pass breakups all season, no interceptions in his entire career at Oklahoma. And you kind of saw that in that game, that, that there was a few times where he was chasing Joe Burrow outside the pocket. You saw the speed. You see the long arms made some plays against the run. But in today's NFL, you need to be good in coverage. I still think he'll go in the first round because I think he's going to test through the roof at the combine. And after Isaiah Simmons, it's not a great linebacker class. But I'm worried about him long term because he's just never been able to really produce those game-changing plays as a coverage linebacker. Yeah, and he went down early in that Oklahoma game, and I thought he might be out. And if that had happened, the LSU was probably scoring 100 points. Yeah. So the fact that he came back and he didn't really stop the bleeding. He was just out there uh, chasing guys down the field like the other 10 players on his team. But, yeah, no, that's good. I, I like Gallimore a lot. He's sort of an exciting, super quick for a big guy type player you can put in the middle of the field. He, he gets after the pass rusher, which, which is sort of important in today's NFL that's become uh, less reliant on stopping the run. But you're right. Neither of those guys had anything to uh, write home on. And um, so we'll see. Their season's over. Uh, one other thing I want to mention quickly, and we I, mentioned, uh, I missed it earlier, Grant Delpit, the safety for LSU, is a first-round talent, did not have a great year, battle ankle injuries, doesn't like to tackle or he struggled with tackles. Maybe that had, maybe that had something to do with the ankle injury. Um, in your mind, who is the better NFL prospect? Uh, Delpit, the safety, or his teammate, cornerback Christian Fulton, who, if he came out last year, probably would have been a first-round pick. I think Christian Fulton's a better prospect, but I won't be surprised if Grant Delpit is picked earlier because he's like 6'3", 210. He has, like, ideal safety size, and he's pretty good in coverage. He has good instincts. The athleticism's there. The twitch is there. But watching Greedy Williams last year, there was like, who's that other guy on the other side of the field? And Christian Fulton, they didn't throw a lot his way last year. They did a little bit more this year without Greedy Williams there. He had 13 pass breakups this season. Uh, he is a man corner, a zone corner, press coverage, extremely twitchy. His his click and close on a comeback route or a dig route I think is, is right up there with Jeffrey Akuda in terms of being the best in the class. So I think there's more buzz, there's more hype around Dalpit because of the size, the length, and the athleticism. But you're right. Not a good tackler. With Christian Fulton, though, I think you're getting someone that can play in a man scheme, a zone scheme. He tackles well um, and mirrors really well down the field. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think Delpit, because of the lack of safeties in this draft class, mm -hmm. 
could find himself moving up. All right, let's move to the game that was slightly more exciting, the Fiesta Bowl between Clemson and Ohio State. Clemson was down 16 nothing at one point, and uh, the critics were like, see, Clemson never played anyone this season. This ain't the ACC. This is Ohio State. And then halftime came, and then Trevor Lawrence happened, and then Justin Fields started throwing interceptions, which he had not done this season, just had one coming into this game through two, including the very last play for Ohio State's offense in the end zone. And it was – this is one of the, the most exciting games that I've seen this season, I feel like. Maybe, again, recency, bias, whatever. It was awesome. So, in, uh, you know, we talked about the quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, but I feel like the running backs played a huge role in the outcome of this game. If you're a team picking between 20 and 32 and you need a running back, are you taking J.K. Dobbins, who had 174 rushing yards and six catches? You're taking Travis Etienne, who had only 36 rushing yards, but he added 98 yards receiving – and scored three total touchdowns. Yeah, I think this game was kind of a microcosm of the style between these two. So if, if I'm a team picking in the late first or early second, and I just want a traditional feature back that I'm going to give the ball to um, on runs up the middle mostly, I'm going J.K. Dobbins. I think he has good bounce, low center of gravity, really strong through weak arm tackle attempts. We saw that. We saw some good bursts down the field, but he did get caught on that one play that ultimately ended in a field goal for Ohio State. Travis Etienne, he's like runs a little higher, um, is a great receiver. He's kind of the modern day running back that you're maybe not going to give him 18 or 19 carries, but you're going to give him 10 to 15 carries and make sure you throw him about four or five screens every game because he has that home run hitting ability that we saw against Ohio State and his contact balance is really good. Both super productive guys that were big recruits. Um, I think along with Jonathan Taylor, Etienne, and Dobbins, those are going to be the first three running backs off the board. Like you said, somewhere between pick 20 and maybe pick 40 and ultimately be, you know, right away the best running back on their team next year. Yeah, no, absolutely. And if you don't get those guys, there's Zach Moss out of Utah, who is mm-hmm. secretly really, really good. There's DeAndre Swift, of course, out of Georgia, who's really, really good. J.K. Dobbins reminds me a little bit of Doug Martin. And I think it was Chad Reuter of NFL.com who made this comparison during the the, the playoff game, and it, it's a great one because D- Doug Martin was muscle hamster, right? Yeah. J.K. Dobbins, he was calling muscles hamster. Um, <laughs> no, I, oh, I messed that up. That would be perfect for him. Clyde Edwards Alaire. Yes, that's the Doug Martin comp. Yeah, that's the that's the muscles hamster. J.K. Dobbins reminds me a little bit of muscle hamster too, but he has no connection to the Bayou, so. Uh, yeah, I, I was only off by about 800, uh, 800 miles on that one. I do love J.K. Dobbins, though, because he is re- re- catching the ball more, which is important in today's NFL, as you pointed out. He did have a, a key drop on a swing pass uh, at one point in the game, and um, you know that sort of gets your attention because you can't be dropping balls out of the backfield. But I feel like his quickness, like small area quickness, gets your attention uh, in like a, a way that no other running back that we've seen for most of this season sort of does. Do you have something? Yeah, that I think it just kind of de- like depends on the style that you want, not the role. But J.K. Dobbins is a jump cut guy. Like he can his lateral quickness, like you were saying, the short area quickness is better than Travis Etienne. Etienne, I said earlier, is like a slasher. He's mostly north south. Doesn't mean he can't. He's not stiff. He can make guys miss, but he gets the ball whether it be on a screen or a handoff, and he is going a hundred miles per hour right away. Maybe one cut. Um, to find that cutback lane, and then he's through the second level. So if you prefer that style, if you're in a zone scheme, you might want Travis Etienne. 
if you're going to be using a lot of lead blockers, fullbacks, guards, I think J.K. Dobbins on that, like I said, the short area quickness and the jump-cutting skills are what are really going to set him apart once he gets to the NFL. So the last three games, Chase Young played uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Clemson. He did not look anything like the Chase Young we'd seen before the suspension. I don't think the suspension had anything to do with it. I think he finished with 16 and a half sacks on the season. Uh, in my mind, he's the second-best player in this draft for Joe Burrow. If you're not looking for a quarterback, you're t- taking Chase Young. You're not asking any questions. Any concerns at all about the last three games for Chase Young, where obviously I feel like offenses have schemed to slow him down. At the next level, you can't really scheme to slow down one player because you're not playing against a bunch of 18- and 19-year-olds. You're playing against a bunch of grown men. But Chase Young, to me, is still number two. How do you feel about that? Yeah, he's still my number two, and I think he's, like I said earlier, that Joe Burrow is going to be the consensus top player on almost everyone's board. I think Chase Young is going to be the consensus number two. The Washington Redskins probably should take him at number two. I've cooled on him a little bit because I think he was feasting on some lesser tackles like midway through the season when he had a bunch of sacks and like a, a two or three games. To me, he's not as refined or as bendy as the Bosa's, but he does use his hands really well. And he's like the size of Miles Garrett. And I think you saw against Clemson a few times he was winning to the inside, winning with pass rushing moves. But on a handful of occasions, he was kind of zeroing in on Trevor Lawrence and then was able to get pushed past Trevor Lawrence. To have that ability to bend the corner, Nick Bosa definitely has it. Joey Bosa has it. Miles Garrett has it at 6'4 and 275 pounds. That's like the only minor nitpick that I have with Chase Young. When it comes to power and pass rushing moves, he has that, and the size and the length are going to translate right away. But we've seen, like you said, over the last three games against some better competition, no sacks, and a little tiny bit of stiffness when he's trying to turn the corner. So uh, Brady Quinn said earlier in the year he's covered, he was out in Columbus for a few games with Fox, and he mentioned one of the concerns that he he's spoken to people that they sort of have, not really concerns, but observations about Jeffrey Kuda is that he hasn't really been targeted much, and that's understandable because why would you throw a Jeffrey Kuda? So you're not sure if he is truly, truly, truly elite or just really, really, really good. I think he answered a lot of questions uh, against T. Higgins and, and Justin Ross. He was lights out, so incredibly smooth. Uh, do you feel better about Jeffrey Kuda, or do you feel this way prior to this game anyway? I kind of felt this way, but I thought, hey, this is going to be a good test for him because these are two big physical wide receivers that have been very productive with a great quarterback at Clemson over the past two years. He had two pass breakups in the game. What I've always said about him and I've written about him this season, his footwork, his feet, his twitchiness are that of like a slot corner, but he's 6'1 and 200 pounds. He can follow down the field really well. As we've seen over the last three or four years, most of the receivers and the corners from Ohio State, they kill it at the combine. I think he's going to run extremely well. And when T. Higgins went out and Jeffrey was mostly only covering Justin Ross, Justin Ross was really not a factor whatsoever. So he's someone similar to Chase Young, similar to Joe Burrow, where you try to find, hey, where is an area that's a weakness for Jeffrey Okuda? And I just really can't find it at this point. Yeah, he's he's been a lot of fun to watch, and I think he showed up big in the biggest moment. And that, that's something, actually, in terms of recency bias, NFL teams certainly pay attention to. Yep. Um, anybody else stand out to you from that game? I know A.J. Terrell is the cornerback for Clemson. I thought he played pretty well. Also, the cornerbacks, uh, Okuda's teammates, Damon Arnett and Sean Wade, both have chances to get draft, drafted pretty highly. Anybody else on either team that sort of got your attention confirmed or, or gave you pause about previous uh, ideas of, of how good they may be at the next level? 
Um, I think Malik Harrison, the linebacker, played a pretty good game. Watching him this season, he kind of seemed like a throwback guy, that he's a little bigger, not super fast. Um, but I think he can carve out a role as that, which is kind of a position that's going by the wayside, is that Sam linebacker, who's kind of like half edge rusher, half linebacker, plays close to the line, um, had a lot of impact stops on Travis Etienne, close to the line of scrimmage. That's why Etienne didn't really have a great game, and he's so good once he gets to the outside. So Malik Harrison, he's like 6'2", 235, but really strong, setting the edge, getting off blocks in the run game. And I was concerned about him dealing with Travis Etienne on the outside, and I think he showed that he can match the athleticism of one of the more explosive backs in the country. So does Malik Harrison uh, sneak into day two? Is he day three guy? What are you thinking? I think third round for him seems about right, that teams, again, he's kind of what I was saying about Kenneth Murray earlier, he's not someone that's going to have six interceptions for you and, and, and run with Travis Kelsey down the field, but I think he's athletic enough to be a good zone defender, and he's definitely very polished in the run game and strong enough, like I said, to set the edge and make those impact stops to get you to second and long and third and long. All right, good stuff. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will preview the New Year's Day Bowl games right after this. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're back. And uh, we just put in the books the playoff game matchups. Great stuff from Chris Trapasso, as always. Now let's look ahead to the New Year's Day Bowl games. We'll start with the Rose Bowl, which is 5 p.m. Eastern time. It's Oregon against Wisconsin. And the big question for me Justin Herbert, which guy is going to show up? We talked about Joe Burrow, pick out any game from 2019 and be immediately impressed. You have to pick and choose those games for Justin Herbert. For me, the USC game is the one you should go watch if you want to be impressed. And there are myriad other games you shouldn't watch if you don't want to be impressed by Justin Herbert, who, uh, for me, the big thing is consistency. He's not consistent, even though physically he could beat uh, Joe Burrow in, in feats of strength, throwing the ball out of the stadium, probably punting field goal kicking, anything, but it just the consistency isn't there. So, Chris, what are you looking for? I'll ask you about Justin Herbert in, in particular and, and then in general from the Oregon-Wisconsin matchup. Yeah, I think a lot of the points that you just said about Justin Herbert are certainly fair. I'm a little higher on him than the consensus, um, and maybe I've just, like you said, I, I kind of get drawn or it kind of gets drawn in by those wild plays. And almost every game, there's four or five throws where you're like, Tua Tagovailoa can't make that throw. Joe Burrow can't even make that throw. Where it's from the far hash, it's over an underneath defender before the safety gets there. But more specifically in this game, what I'm looking for from him is that 
will the Oregon offensive coordinator ever like let the reins off him? That there's this year his completion percentage was higher. You know, if if you look at the stats, you think, hey, this guy came into the year as like maybe the number one overall pick, and his stats got better. Why isn't he the consensus top guy or battling with Joe Burrow? So many screens, so many jet sweeps, pop passes, easy throws for him, and. I don't know. Is that telling? Is the Oregon offensive coordinator not giving too much to Justin Herbert because on the field his processing isn't very good? I think at times I've seen him get to his second and third read, move across the field. At times that's when he's made some of his worst decisions and worst passes. Last two games, obviously Arizona State um, and then Utah in that Pac-12 title game um, completed around 50% of his passes, went a long time without even completing a pass in that game. So I want to see if, like, final game for Oregon, he's had a great career there. They kind of just say, all right, we're going to tailor this offensive game plan around, you know, this freakish athlete of a quarterback who can make every throw. That's what I'm looking for. One other thing on the other side, Zach Bond from Wash- or from uh, Wisconsin, smaller linebacker, edge rusher, was really productive kind of out of nowhere this year for the Badgers. And he's going to face, you know, an NFL caliber offensive tackle, whether he's rushing from the left or the right. I think he kind of translates well to today's NFL, that he's pretty good in coverage. He's athletic. He's smaller, really good bend around the edge, wins with quickness. Um, I think, too, kind of like what I said about Chase Young, I think he did feast on some lesser tackles in the Big Ten. But facing Oregon's offensive line is going to be a challenge. These are big, powerful, experienced guys, all five of them, across that front for Oregon. So Zach Bond is someone I think could be a second or a third-round pick because of his versatility and his athleticism. If he has a big game, I was talking about bowl game bias earlier, but if he has a big game, I think that could catapult him up further, maybe to be maybe a late first-round pick, but probably a second round. Just interesting to watch him against this Oregon offensive line. Yeah, and on offense for Wisconsin, we talked about Jonathan Taylor, the running back. He's more of an upright guy, but um, he is a burner. He don't he may not look like it, but when he gets in the open field, that's a wrap. Quintez Cephas is the wide receiver who had a pretty good game against Ohio State the last time they met up. He didn't play in 2018 because of off-field issue, so we'll see what that, if anything, that impact has uh, on his draft status. And two guys on Oregon I want to mention quickly who won't be draft eligible but are probably two of the best players on the field, Kayvon Thibodeau, the defensive end. Uh, who is, I think he won't be eligible until 2022. And then Panay Sewell, the, the offensive tackle, who I know you like him a lot. He'll probably be in, uh, at the top of the 2021 mock drafts that we put out in, in early May. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. Yeah. If you love left tackles, pay attention to him. Um, so that is the Rose Bowl. We'll move on next to the Sugar Bowl, Georgia versus Baylor. Uh, I just talked about how Justin from Justin from Justin Herbert was a, <laughs> was a disappointment for me. Jake from also a disappointment. I part of me feels like he should probably come back. The issues with him are not processing. He's a really smart guy. Just um, arm strength and deep ball accuracy, and those are sort of two of the most important things you need to do as an NFL quarterback. But Georgia has a lot of really good players. As does Baylor. Who you watching uh, uh, for this matchup, Chris? And, and who you like, and who, who you have concerns about? Yeah, I mean, I think Jake from. A lot of what you said makes a ton of sense. His last five games, he's been under 50% completion. And if you're going to be a processing guy and an accuracy of the short area guy, you can't have that. And, yeah, George has lost a lot of NFL talent. But like you said, I think he should come back because a lot of the talent, they've recruited really well. Um, under Kirby Smart, a lot of their players who are playing key roles are 
freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and Jake Fromm seemingly been there for like five years already, but he does have one more year of eligibility. Just want to see if he can get some momentum going into what probably will be his senior season at Georgia. And then DeAndre Swift, he's kind of been on the fence. Is he going to come out? I thought he was more explosive and more elusive last year for the Bulldogs. I don't think it's a slam dunk that he comes out because this running back class is pretty loaded. Um, but talking about bowl game bias, that's kind of been like the theme here. If he has a huge game, there could be, you know, agents and people talking to him saying, hey, you could maybe be a second or a third round pick because he is really talented. And then on the Baylor side, uh, Denzel Mims, the wide receiver, 6'3", 215. Not someone that's going to create a lot of separation on intricate routes, but he's been a home run hitter for like three years for Baylor now. And Matt Rule's done a great job turning that program around. Um, in his sophomore year, he was doing a lot of good things, but they were like winning one game. So no one was paying attention to him. He had seven catches for 125 yards and two touchdowns against Texas. Had two touchdowns in that crazy game during the regular season against Oklahoma. Um, I just want to see what he does against some SEC cornerbacks on the outside. He's not super shifty, a little bit stiff, but down the field and in those contested catch situations, Denzel Mims to me looks like an NFL wide receiver. Yeah, I like Denzel Mims a lot. Andrew Thomas, the left tackle for Georgia, is not playing unless something has changed. He's declared for the draft. He is probably a top five pick, top ten, no worse than that. I'm not sure if Isaiah Wilson is playing either, but he's the uh, other offensive tackle for Georgia. Really, really good player. Sort of come on late and gotten on people's radars. He's uh, a guy to watch out for during the draft process if you don't get to see him uh, for Georgia. J.R. Reed, the safety, is a guy who I'm assuming he's going to play. He's probably a day three-ish pick. I was hoping for a better year from him this year. Um, his last name's Reed. He wears number 20, and that's sort of where the similarities end with Ed Reed. But, again, big game. Could change your opinion about that. We'll see. Moving on to the Citrus Bowl where Alabama ain't in the playoffs, so they got to play Michigan. Um, let's see. I'm not sure how many guys are sitting out for Alabama, but I do know this. I talked to someone in the league after Terrell Lewis, the, the edge rusher, and Trevon Diggs, the cornerback, decided they weren't going to play, and they said basically – Look, they made business decisions all year. It's not surprising they're making one more business decision for the bowl game. Uh, both guys are, are going to be in the first-round conversation, extremely athletic. Terrell uh, Lewis had injuries last year and the year before, so he's finally healthy. He proved to NFL teams he can stay healthy. Trevon Diggs is Stephon Diggs' brother, a former wide receiver like his brother. He is huge. Um, look, he got exposed a little bit in that LSU game, but I thought all in all he did not play terribly. Again, those are some NFL wide receivers, NFL quarterback, and, and he sort of held his own as much as you could under those circumstances. So we know about Alabama. You can tell me some guys you're looking at there, Chris, and, and then tell me about some Michigan guys that we should keep an eye out as well. Yeah, I mean, we've obviously talked about the Alabama wide receivers all year, I and mean, even post the Tua Tagovailoa injury, um, it was, to me, kind of Jerry Judy having somewhat of a down season or, or not being that true number one that we were expecting him to be. Um, so big game from him would probably help his stock a little bit. I think there was going into the season at the early portions, it was like, oh, Jerry Judy is going to be like a top three pick, like slam dunk. And I don't know if that's the case anymore. And Henry Ruggs, I absolutely love watching him once he gets the ball in his hands, but he only has one catch of 30 plus yards since October 19th. So if you're going to bill yourself as a home run hitter that can, you know, is a threat to score Anytime you touch the football, you got to create a little bit more after you start to get in and playing some better competition. They're both going to go in the first round. I think Henry Ruggs could run in the four threes at a high four two. Wouldn't surprise me. He's that fast. Um, 
And then on the Michigan side, they have two kind of uh, underwhelming in terms of where they were as recruits, wide receivers, and Donovan Peoples-Jones and Nico Collins. I think Donovan Peoples-Jones, though, could be one of those players that draft Twitter is like lower on because he hasn't been super productive and he's uh, hasn't lived up to the hype, kind of like Jabril Peppers when he was at Michigan, who ultimately goes higher because he's 6'2", he's very athletic for his size, over 200 pounds, has a bunch of touchdowns over the last couple games, and Nico Collins is kind of that power forward guy. The one other player for Michigan on the defensive side that I have been not blown away with, but I was really impressed re-watching him, Josh Oche, the, the edge rusher linebacker, 6'2", 250, they kind of use him as a line, like an off-ball linebacker at times, like a middle linebacker, but he's been very good um, on the edge. He is speed to power. Watch that Iowa game facing Alaric Jackson and Tristan Wirfs, two big, super powerful tackles at Iowa. And this six foot two, 250-pound guy is pushing him, or pushing both of those guys back into Nate Stanley repeatedly, has good bend around the edge. He's going to be facing two first-round tackles in this game in Alex Leatherwood and Jedrick Wills. So Josh Oche, I think, could be someone, pass-rushing specialist, that's what you need to be to go high in today's NFL and be good. He's someone really worth watching on the Michigan side. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I know you've been hunting for a while. Two things, Shea Patterson, the quarterback for Michigan, he's played better this, as the season has progressed, but he, when I watched him early in the year, I said this is basically a, a poor man's Trace McSorley. And that's no knock on either one of them. It's just that he's more athlete than quarterback at this point. He had some bad games early on. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be anything more than a, than a day three guy, uh, unless he has a Joe Burrow type turnaround in, in the next 24 to 48 hours. And, uh, I was talking to someone close to Alabama's program and, and they said that, um, Henry Ruggs and Devonta Smith, the two super fast wide receivers who both probably weigh 200 pounds combined. There's some consideration that they might return, which sounds nuts. Whoa. But the issue is that they're so slight, and you just can't weigh 165 pounds or whatever they weigh and go up against guys like Trevon Diggs, who, who you know they probably face in practice, but those type of Patrick Petersons or Xavier Rhodes or whomever, Richard Shermans, and have sustained success. So that's something they're considering. But look, man, uh, if you weigh 165 pounds and someone offers you $20 million, you just say, okay, I'll, I'll eat 20 pounds worth of hamburgers and you'll be all set. But uh, <laughs> just something to look out for. I, I don't know if it'll happen, but uh, I thought it was an interesting nugget. All right, we got one more game here. It is the Outback Bowl, the Minnesota Gophers versus the Auburn Tigers. Uh, the best player on the field will almost certainly be number five, Derek Brown, the defensive lineman for Auburn who has been – uh, a game changer in the middle of the defense. He, he's my number one defensive tackle. Uh, Tyler Johnson, the wide receiver from Minnesota, is, is someone that I like a lot. I know draft Twitter is down on him um, for reasons that I'm not entirely sure about. I, I think perhaps pro- pro- some of that separation, but he also plays with uh, Rashad Bateman, who is not draft eligible, who is going to be one of the best wide receivers in, in next year's draft class, I feel like. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on the Gophers versus Tigers, who you like and, and who you're not so crazy about? Um, I actually really like Tyler Johnson, and I think a lot of the points that you just made up, that, that uh, you just said, I don't understand when there's this kind of growing sense that Tyler Johnson is just not a good wide receiver prospect anymore. He's had basically identical seasons in his junior and senior year with over 70 catches, over 1,100 yards, 12 touchdowns, and then 11 touchdowns this year. Uh, he's not, no, he's not the most 
separation-based wide receiver, but his yards after the catch, I think he turns into a running back instantly. There's times where he'll catch a slant and immediately cut against the grain, and I'm wondering, how did he know that the corner was over top of him, that he needed to cut back against the grain? Some drop issues at times, but Minnesota played in some inclement weather games, can still make those difficult catches um, in traffic. So I think probably a second or a third round pick. I could see him. I don't think he's as explosive, but I could see him being like a Devonte Adams who went later and um, he was a little smaller, but was a yards after the catch guy at, at Fresno state. And then ultimately becomes a really good wide receiver because he does everything. Well, Antoine Winfield jr. Too, um the safety for Minnesota ton of interceptions this year. You love the bloodlines, obviously. And he comes up and run support like his dad did that, um, from that safety spot that you see the eight interceptions and you're wondering, oh, he must just be playing center field, but he can really help in run support. And he does have that range, not Earl Thomas type range, but he reads route concepts very well and certainly has good ball skills. Um, I, I think Auburn will probably win this game because their defense, just how many big bodies they have up front. And I think Gus Malzahn does a good job um, with kind of that triple option offense. Derek Brown, to me, one quick thing on him, I'm not as high on him as the consensus. He kind of reminds me of like a sleeker version of Dexter Lawrence, who went in the first round, was this mammoth recruit, and he's a mammoth individual. He's 6'5", 320, insane run defender. Like when it comes to getting off blocks from a center or a guard or beating double teams, Derek Brown can do that. I'm just a little concerned about... He's going to go really high, and then is he going to ever be able to live up to being the number seven overall pick or number five overall pick in terms of being a pass rusher? He only has four sacks on the season, double-digit tackles for loss the last couple of years. But when you watch him on a third and seven, um, you don't see a lot of pass rushing moves. And if he's not winning with his overwhelming strength in terms of a bull rush, he doesn't really have a counter move to rely on. But there is, you're totally right, a ton of buzz about him to be the first defensive tackle and probably go inside the top ten. Yeah, I don't know if you heard that crash. That was my uh, my uh, picture frame disagreeing with you coming crashing off the wall. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the, the picture frame disagrees with you on Derek Brown. But I take your point. A couple of the guys to watch for, for Auburn. Uh, probably day two pick at this point is Prince Tega Wanago, the, the left tackle. The right tackle is Jack Driscoll, a guy who could be, he could actually be a late day two pick. I sort of like him. Maybe day three, uh, worst case for him. And, uh, Marlon Davidson plays along the defensive line with, uh, Derek Brown. He is not quite the player Derek Brown is, but he's having a really good season. And, um, oh, one thing I wanted to mention about Tyler Johnson. When I first watched him, my first thought was, this guy's a little bit like Juju Smith Schuster. He's not going to be a number one. He's mm-hmm. not a burner. But he gets in and out of cuts. He's great in terms of he d- he does have issues holding on to the ball, but he he does have sticky hands and when he's focused he, he can make plays. Kamal Martin, uh, yeah, absolutely yeah. plays slot lineman outside. Kamal Martin's a linebacker. He won't play in this game. He's declared for the draft, and, and he's a guy to watch once the um, draft season rolls around. And we're not far away from that. But for the New Year's Day podcast draft edition, that is a wrap. Chris, is there anything you want to add about what we've talked about or anything on your mind draft wise? No, I'm just really excited to finally get it into full bore where, like, tweeting about the draft six to ten times a day is not like, why are you tweeting about the draft? Like, we're almost where it's, you should be doing that from January to April, and you'll certainly get a lot of that from me uh, over the next couple months. Uh, it is always draft season, Chris, so you can tweet about it whenever you want. <laughs> Look, we talk about the draft for the next few weeks, and then there will be the championship game, the senior bowl, the combine, uh, the pro days, and then the draft itself. 
So uh, if you get too much of Will Brenton, come back for the draft talk with me and Chris and Brady Quinn, Pete Prisco, no doubt. Thanks for joining us, Chris, and we'll talk later. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.